Hello. Today we're talking to Andy Cheseldean, or Cheser as he's known, <laughs> of Capital Cranfield Trustee, the chair of the Small Pots Coordination Group, to find out what value for money means to him. Welcome to the seventh episode of the VFM Pensions Podcast. I'm delighted, as ever, to be joined by probably the busiest man in pensions. It's very hard to get him off the phone. Uh, of course, is Mr. Darren Phil. Thank you, Nico. And I couldn't be happier to, sit, to be sat next to the next busiest man in pensions, <laughs> uh, Nico Aspinall, um, investment guru, um, general industry commentator, Chairing lots of panels on stuff at the moment, I see. Um, there's no avoiding you at the moment, Nico. Um, so today we're talking to Andy Cheseldean, as we mentioned. Um, and um, welcome, Andy. Thank you for inviting me. Very pleased to be here. So, so Andy holds many roles, doesn't yeah. he? He wears many hats. Nico, can, can you sort of try and explain what Andy does? I'll try. Please. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Andy is the chair of uh, Smart Pensions and the Lewis Workplace Master Trusts. Uh, you are, are appointed as a trustee on the HSBC Master Trust as well and chairing their investment committee uh, and chair of the Aon GAA. That's so right. many roles. Yep. Uh, and some DB schemes and a load of stuff that I don't get paid for. <laughs> <laughs> Very familiar. Yeah, indeed. indeed. <laughs> um, as ever with these podcasts, let's start with the news. Uh, so what have you brought in for us this week, Andy? Um, I've noticed uh, most recently a survey from LCP, but there's been a number of similar uh, subjects or surveys on similar subjects published recently about uh, increases in opt-out rates mm. um, and I think that uh, having read the actual research which I think is really good I think there's been a, a bit of a, a, a sub-editor coup on, on some of this because the publications are saying things like oh half of employers have had employers asking uh, employees asking if they can opt out yeah that's probably true but it's one or two members asking to opt out out of thousands yeah uh, talking to other masters as well as the ones i'm involved with we're not actually seeing very many people opt out yeah, um, yeah. It, it's only marginally higher than uh, the average over the last five or six years uh, and therefore you know auto enrollment is working yeah 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 so there's a bit of sort of sub-editor Escalation, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Let's try and find a, an interesting headline. Yeah. 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 So people are staying in, yeah. um, and then when you look down at the employers, some people are talking about opting out, yeah. and that yeah. that kind of gets averaged and you know yeah. multiplied yeah. and multiplied. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's 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 important that we really understand these stats mm. because you know like auto moment is all about behavioural nudge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the power of defaults and all of that. And we really need to be sure that we're understanding 
you know, what's going on to be able to set policy and to understand how best to sort of communicate members. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And what we've got to be careful of is we don't get complacent and yep. say, oh, well, it's okay, it isn't going to happen to us. We need to wash it very carefully and work quite hard on not stopping people doing what's right for them, but yeah. not letting them think that everyone else is opting out so it's the right thing to do because yeah. it's really difficult to get them back in again. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the news I wanted to talk about today was NatWest taking an 85% stake in Cushion, um, which is for £144 million. Um, so Ka-ching. well done, the guys at Cushion. <laughs> yeah. I think that's uh, that's a fantastic achievement. Um, as uh, it, 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 you know, I guess there's been a sort of um, there's been a long question in pensions, which is where, where are the banks? Mm. Um, and so you know, here is a move from one of the big four uh, to to kind of put put their stake in. Right? Mm. So um, I can tell we are two of the banks. Right? HSBC are obviously in the market, mm. uh, and Barclays White Label Smart. Yes, yes, so. yeah, and obviously Scott Wids um, yeah, yeah, and the yeah, Lloyd's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. So, so I guess in other countries, you know, you'd think that these things would be more successful. Yes. That the banking relationship yeah. and the employer is maybe different yeah. in the UK versus particularly parts of continental Europe. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think it is, you know, a lot of it comes from, you know, the construct of our pensions industry, mm. the fact that, you know, our pensions industry has sort of sprung from defined benefit pensions. Yeah. You know, so it's had a different starting point. Um, but I think, you know, we often talk about financial well-being and integrated finance and all of that type of stuff. And I think, you know, investments like the NatWest one into Cushion, it'll be really interesting yeah. to see, you know, what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and whether it's just, uh, OK, carry on as normal guys. Yeah, yeah. Or whether they'll start thinking, OK, let's really sort of crack this sort of integrated finance, uh-huh. use the dashboard, um, you know, give people a more holistic um, view of their their day to day finances. It's the power of data. Yeah. The power of data. Yeah. You just have to look at the Facebooks of this world to understand how important it is to have all these data points on yeah. individuals mm-hmm. and how powerful that is for selling stuff to them. Frankly, yeah. um, as a trustee, obviously I'm concerned that people don't get missold to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it is important that uh, they get all the offers that they all the sensible offers that they uh, can do to broaden their financial well-being. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. And I, I've always thought that if the likes of Google, Amazon and oh, Facebook yes. um, ever get really interested in, in financial services and stuff, then, um, you know, that's going to be a big sort of game changer. And they are, in, in, in but, but they haven't really gone for it yet. Yeah, there's more money to be made elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, do, I do think with the banks that there was this moment around the beginning of auto-enrollment where they were caught... Um, Rebuilding their reserves after the global financial crisis, mm. um, and maybe in a different a different history, you know that was the moment the starting gun was fired, and they should have been sprinting out for the blocks. Yeah. Uh, and instead, actually, they were very much looking after their own house yeah. and 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 ring fencing stuff. And, yeah. Um, and maybe that that kind of that loss of that lead was very difficult. Um, who knows? The next decade, I'm yeah. sure we'll see the banks uh, kind of take the front of the pack. Yeah, well, well, we'll wait and see. Watch your space. Yeah. Um, what have you brought in for us, Dan? So, uh, what have I brought in? Um, it, it's sort of a continuation of um, the, the discussion we've just had, in a way, because I think there was some SEI research that was published um, earlier this week um, that talks about people's connection with their pen- pensions um, and saying that people, you know, have low or no ownership of their pension. So, seventy-four mm. percent of pension scheme members, you know, reported um, feeling low or no ownership. Um, research based on a thousand pension scheme members, you know, three fifths 
members do not feel connected to their pensions. Now, I don't think this necessarily comes as a, as a surprise. Yeah, um, obviously, if you're using stuff like auto enrolment and defaults and all of that, yeah, yeah, you know, people are sort of one step removed from the process. Yeah, you know, the whole point of auto enrolment is you don't have to be engaged. Yeah, and make yeah. active choices to do the right thing. But you know, it, it always strikes me that you know. People, people know what money is in their bank account. People mm. know what money is in their ISA. They feel as if it's their money. Um, but what research shows are uh, like this is that there is that disconnect mm. and people don't necessarily see it as their money until sort of much later on, which makes the com whole communications piece, the whole decision making and get people, getting people to think long term and getting people to think about adequacy. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a huge challenge. Yeah. 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 Well, something like 20 years ago, there was research in the States that said that members really only start to pay attention to their pension once it reached the value of a small compact car. Yeah, really. Yeah, so, Steve, so, Steve, so, Steve Webb used to say that. So in, in, in today's terms, you'd be talking about twenty, thirty thousand pounds 30000 Well, it's not that big a pot, but the average pot size in auto-enrolment schemes is around the £2,000 mark. Yeah, so there's a long way to go. It's a lot yeah. of small pots, isn't it? But yeah. we'll come on yeah, to yeah. that. Um, we'll come on to that in a minute. Yeah. So yeah, there, there seems to be loads going on this year. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but anyway, you know, we, we, we've invited you on, Andy. Um, and thank you, you know, so much for coming. Yeah, no, it's always great. I'll uh, send you to my see bill later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Um, how did you get into pensions? Can, can you give us a bit of background as to you know, how you've got to the lofty status of um, you know a trustee? Um, by accident, is the honest answer. That is quite a common yes, response that we actually get. I w many decades ago, when it was called Midland Bank, I worked for Midland Bank, uh, and I was I didn't really enjoy it. I was offered a job outside um, by a mate. Uh, Quit was going to go and do that admin manager at an engineering firm in Surrey, in fact, mm. from Newcastle. Um, uh, and before I got there, they went bust. So I needed quickly to find nice. another job. I went to the uh, to sign on the dole, as it was then, um, and got sent for an interview. Happened to be at Phoenix Assurance. Oh, okay. Next thing I knew, I was on train down to London as a trainee life inspector um, and got into pensions that kind of way. Mm. So I spent my first half of my career working for insurance company type. Um, organisations. I introduced email into Sun Alliance. I wow. was controller <laughs> electronic marketing. I, I, I specialised in great job titles that didn't pay very much. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and then uh, came into con the sharper end uh, uh, with uh, Frizzell um, and then latterly uh, Watson Wyatt, Hewitt Bacon Woodrow and LCP yeah. uh, and then retired having done just short of 40 years uh, six years ago um, but, but, but it, was a, it wasn't really retirement was it? <laughs> well no um, I thought I'd take on one or two jobs as a trustee just to keep the mind going yeah. and it rapidly turned into nine right, right. <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of my Oh, three of my roles were uh, standalone DC schemes yeah. um, with a view to moving them into master trust and closing them down. Right. And we did that. Um, so I've now got three master trusts uh, and three DB schemes mm. and one GAA, as you yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I'd be really interested to hear what the difference is between those kind of GAA and, 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 and trustee roles. I mean, does it feel like... Okay, that maybe the decisions you get to are, are kind of different, but does it feel like you're kind of receiving the same information and kind of having the similar discussions? Very much so. Uh -huh. um, uh, I'd always, 
from a technical perspective, um, a GAA, you have less power than as a trustee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't make things happen to yeah. quite the same extent. Um, but I have to say, I've been um, very impressed with Aon. Um, uh, they've been very uh, interested in our views. Um, the, the reason they appointed capital countries in the first place was they made a particular point they wanted more robust governance to move on to the next phase. They're, they're yeah. big enough that you know, maybe an IGC might be the next move from a GA. Yeah. That doesn't really matter. But they, they wanted to get it right. Yeah. And that's yeah. the perfect scenario as a trustee. Yeah, yeah. And then in the trustee roles, obviously, you've got a mixture of DB and DC roles. So does that feel really different between the two? Obviously, you know, you've got an employer in the in the DB Uh, side. It does. I mean, um, we was fortunate that uh, when the LDI crisis happened, all of my DB schemes were um, well funded. Uh, They all had LDI after a fashion. Um, But one was um, just come up 99 percent buy out. Buy in, I should right. say, yeah, um, yeah. which has got GMPs left, um, oh. <laughs> which we, we will get rid of very quickly. Yeah. I think. Um, but it's one percent of the total. Yeah, sure. As max, and we're well funded for that as well. Um, so uh, they're, they're different sorts of problems. Yeah. Um, uh, you're dealing much more directly with employers that are rightly uh, and properly concerned about financial. Um, uh, movement of the goals, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the market's been somewhat erratic. Yeah, um, and statement of the year, uh, but we, we we were well positioned for all of them, and I think mm. actually um, with what's happened in uh, interest rates, uh, most DB schemes I'm aware of have done really quite well out mm. of yeah. the last five or so years. Which certainly is an industry massively better funded than we used to be. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The the problem on the DC side, of course, is that if you're close to retirement and you, your trustees had kept you fully invested, well, aimed at an annuity type lifestyle thing, yeah, yeah. you will really have suffered. Yeah. Particularly if you don't buy an annuity at yeah, that stage. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I think the big lesson to learn from that is we've got to be much harder, much more clearer, uh, much more clear um, with our communication yeah. and, and making yeah. sure people are in the right default. Yeah. And obviously a master trust is, is very different from a trustee yeah. perspective versus a single employer trust. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, there's the commerciality, there's the business success, there's prioritisation that has to happen yeah. and all that. How, do you, how, how have you changed your thinking or how have you mm. sort of adapted to, to you know, dealing in that sort of commercial environment as a trustee? Uh, I don't think I've had to, to be honest. Okay. Um, it's very clear on all the master trusts I serve on that the trustee's job is to look after the interests of the members. Mm. So we have robust conversations about um, charging structures uh, and where we think that members aren't getting value for money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we don't win all of the arguments because... <laughs> You always want more than you can have, yeah. um, but we're always moving in the right direction. I think. Yeah. yeah nice. Yeah, and I, I, I've always sort of thought that um, coming back to the sort of DB DC splits, that you know there is this sort of uh, good portfolio of growth assets in particular that that DB has, and then the contrast to what you get in a DC scheme, you know, is quite stark in in a number of different places. Mm. Um, you know, does that compare and contrast kind of, so, uh, do you do that, I guess, um, first off? Um, and then second off, like, does that worry you? Um, yes uh, and yes. Um, mm. Getting access to higher performing assets uh, is 
something you clearly want to do, but you also have to make sure you're back to the value for money side of it yeah, again. Yeah. Um, so um, one of the unpaid roles I have, I sit on the Bank of England's Productive Finance Working Group. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in my initial discussions before I joined that group, um, I made the point to um, the, the people that were interviewing me, in effect, I thought that a good starting point was to say, um, let's compare with passive global equities. Yeah. Can what you're offering me offer better returns than global passive global equities? Yeah. Or lower costs? Or lower volatility? Yeah. Or yeah. Uh, better liquidity? Mm. If the answer to all those is no, why am I investing in right. yeah. Now, yeah. there is an argument for going into them because yeah. it's diversification yeah. and you won't always get uh, straight line growth in global equities. I think yeah. they will do best over the long term. Uh, but some of the productive finance asset classes so to cover private equity and, yeah. and venture yeah. capital, etc., might well do better. Mm. Um, uh, but they're also really expensive. Mm. And I want to make sure that we're not uh, being conned into um, investing something that looks wonderful, yeah, 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 but yeah. is horribly expensive, yeah. either through a very high uh, fixed fee or, or performance-related fees, mm. yeah. where yeah. it's, uh, give me your watch and I'll tell you the time and then I'll keep the watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that has been, because I was involved in the, the previous iteration um, which was under the British Business Bank, and I think it was called the Patient Capital. Yeah. Um, and it was a little disappointing that the narrative pre-cooked as we came into the room was essentially venture capital is the only way to make returns. Yeah. Um, and 2 and 20 is basically what you need to pay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sat there as a DC scheme with a small investment budget. I don't think I can disclose exactly. Um, but obviously, as CIO of the People's Pension, I was kind of sat there going like, well, you know, that, that sounds wonderful. Mm. But, but what about the real world yeah. where we <laughs> operate in, you know? Um, and there was very little discussion in that iteration about infrastructure. Yeah. Um, particularly climate infrastructure and really actually about the kind of distant future when the master trust will have enough scale yeah. to potentially being price makers in this yeah. industry yeah um, yeah the dynamic change over time yeah I think so um, we talked we had uh, Greg on Greg McClymond okay. uh, a few weeks ago and talked about the kind of collaboration that IFM represents between Australian super trusts um, and, I, and I do think it, there's, there's a sort of structural problem in the UK DC master trust space, which is that there's sort of two biggies, um, maybe two mediumies, and then a lot of smaller ones. And smaller yeah. ones are like mm. now two to three billion. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, yeah. you, 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 yeah. It's amazing that we're in a world where two yeah. to three billion could be considered small. But, you know, if you had Nest and TPP collaborating, then who would come and join that? Yeah. and see that their kind of share gets diluted and, you know, they don't necessarily have a say. Um, and if you tried to do it kind of equitably, would Nest and TPP play? I mean, yeah. that's ultimately yeah. kind of what it yeah. gets back to. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do think it's problems we need to solve, particularly for climate change. And we are, we are seeing some collaboration in this space. Yeah, we, we are. So yeah. I, 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 we didn't pick it up in the news, but mm. I know Nest and Cushion are collaborating on, on something that yeah. I picked up. In that, and I think... That collaboration has got to be good because yeah. it, it helps you achieve scale, um, you know, much much quicker. Yeah, and, it also and, uh, depends on the structure of the membership within those schemes. Because by definition, the older people tend to have bigger asset pots, mm. right. but they are the ones that need greater liquidity because they're coming out of retirement. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a balance to be struck there as well. It's great having millions of people putting regular contributions in, 
with uh, relatively young, relatively low salaries, that isn't a big pot for investment purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we're, 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 sort of, we're sort of touching on value for money yeah, in yeah, this yeah. conversation, aren't we? And this always yeah. happens. But, you know, we ask all of our yeah. guests the same yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What does value for money uh, okay. mean to you, Andy? Um, it means members, in particular, um, getting a decent return for the fees that they're paying. Now, how do you measure that? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the difficult bit, because it, it actually is different for different schemes. So uh, there's at least six phases to this. You have to decide what you're going to measure, because yep. and that will be different from one scheme to another. Mm. If you think about um, uh, life size, their average contribution is massively higher than Nest. Yeah, uh, it's an entirely different um, workforce that they're catering for. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they probably need different solutions, and they do have different solutions. So what what are you going to measure? Uh, then what weighting are you going to put on each of those? Because um, clearly you might have a bigger weighting for investment and charges than you do on um, what colour. Graphics you use on, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm exaggerating for effect, uh, but it's really important. All of, wherever you measure, uh, and I'd say it's investment, admin, governance, communications, charges, um, uh, lots of other things as well. Mm. Each has subsets. So how yeah. wide is your investment choice? What's your default look like? Uh, what is the risk as well as the, the potential outcome? All of those need to get taken. And, and just taking their choice aspect as yeah, an example yeah, yeah. like for some that choice is incredibly valuable yeah, and offering yeah. more choice it um, delivers better for value for value, value for money yeah. but for mass market a master trust it's the opposite it's yeah, the opposite yeah. it confuses yeah. people absolutely so that's the same so uh, what you know, what weightings are you going to apply to those then um what are your benchmarks what are your criteria you're going to use uh, and those could be different uh, it's it's in theory, easy for a master to say, well, it's the other master trust. Mm, yeah. But I've just said, there's other difference between Nest and LifeSite. Yeah, yeah. And Lewis is one of the small ones and is, has very particular issues, but also advantages. Yeah. Um, uh, so what are you going to measure? Then you get to the subjective bit, which is, and how do we compare to all of those? Yeah, yeah. And the trustees need to be careful that they are looking at that clear-sightedly, not being influenced by the sponsor, say, oh, yeah, we're really good at this, yeah. and have proper benchmarks to, to set against, yeah. um, and probably use external advisors, um, uh, and certainly talk to journalists and people like you folks, say, well, did you not know that X does this better? Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. All that sort of stuff. Uh, and I used to say, and then finally, how do you communicate all of that mm. to your members? Because you've got to stick something into the chair statement to actually do a lot more than that. But you also got to communicate to the regulator, to um, intermediaries, if you're a master trust, because people are selling your product, um, to your own staff, you know, mm. make them proud of what you're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. Really wide ranging. I used to stop there, and I realised that we'd forgotten one really important bit, uh, which was, and then what? Because we know from year to year it gets harder to look like you're providing good value for money. That's partly because the players that weren't offering good value for money have dropped out of the market. Yep, right. Yeah, yeah. And therefore the average has... Microphone can't see me. Lift my hands. It's been lifted up. (laughs) Survivor bias. Survivor bias, yeah. Positive Uh, survivor bias, yeah. uh, But that's good. Yeah. Uh, But also... um, the people that are left in the market are also trying to do better yeah. every yeah. year, and the regulations are getting tighter. That doesn't necessarily make it better, mm. but I think uh, more accountability on TCFD and ESG is probably a good thing. Um, and 
it isn't just about keeping the charges low, as yeah, we've seen yeah. in consultations recently. Yeah. What we want is the better, best net return for members um, on a risk-adjusted basis, given yeah. for how old they are and how much risk they can afford yeah. to take. Yeah. Mm. So I, the, it's it's simple, really. Yeah, yeah. So there's loads of interesting things yeah. we could we could focus on there. But but I just wanted to pick up on I think I think two. So one is just the subjectivity. Yeah. Um, because when I read the VFM consultation. I hear in a number of different places this ambition from, let's say, the centre yeah. to make everything objective. Yeah. Yes. Right. And and uh, I think I, I don't think you know I'm any any kind of secret. I think we covered it when we did our our VFN special, which everybody should should listen into if you haven't already. Um, you know, I really applaud the subjectivity and the fact that you've got to have a different approach to think about the value for money in life site versus nest. Right. Yeah. yeah. But but how do you feel that kind of that pressure to become objective? How do you think that's going to play out? Do you think it's valid? I, I think it's valid. I think it's positive. To be uh-huh. honest, um, uh, there are. It's been too easy for governance committees and master trustees to say, "Oh yeah, well we're special, therefore." Right. Um, th- th- this In our special us. circumstances, yeah, yeah. we're value for money. Now yeah. there are lots of different. Um, scenarios. I mean, there are, I think now, um, 43 master trusts. Um, uh, of those, 10 are special because they're hybrid, right. ranging from the USS yeah. to the Baptist Society, yeah. and including, not to forget, the Financial Conduct Authority, which acts yeah. as an accidental master trust. And combined That's nuclear genius, pensions. Yeah, yeah. How can a financial services regulator have a finan- uh, an accidental master trust? Oh, it's genius. It's not anyway, anyway let's not go there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it means the FCA is then regulated by TPR. It's oh, very yeah, interesting. Which is why they were fined. Yeah, yeah, layering. Suitably embarrassing. But the... But they're, they are special. They're, they're, you know, they're mostly in existence because of the worry about Section 75 debts on the DB side. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you saw that, then there's no reason to run it as a master trust any longer. Um, but then of the others, there's four out-and-out auto-enrolment master trusts, so Smart, Nest, Now, and People's Pension. Yeah. Not necessarily in that order. Um, uh, there are a bunch of consultant master trusts. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm not certain how much any of those really want to be in the market, other than they're not going to sell it to a competitor. Right. Uh, uh, I mean, there are some that are clearly pretty successful. Um, LifeSite, you know, it's been very successful Incredibly in attracting well assets. They were the prime player in the startup. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but of the others, I, I, I know there's four or five that are talking, or at least open yeah. to being taken over. Yeah. Uh, Kushon obviously absorbed three of them. Yeah. So, so yeah. if you say that Kushon's one, then actually it's 40, not 43. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so there will be more consolidation, and I think that will be good for members. Mm. I'm just, I wouldn't want it to consolidate too far, yeah. because then you lose competition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I think um, it's... Not, not all master trusts are equal and they, they're serving different purposes. Yeah. And I think, you know, when ma- the master trust authorization debate was happening and stuff, people would say, you know, there's 80, 100 master trusts out there and we need yeah, to get yeah, down yeah, to yeah. six or whatever. Yeah. But actually, that's that's not clear thinking. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, in terms of mass market, 
you know, AE Master Trust, yeah. Where, yeah. You, where scale is a key driver of efficiency and good outcomes and all of that type of stuff. You know, it's all about providing quality, but at a very, very low unit cost. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, that's where the consolidation is most, most important, yeah. I would argue. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So, and, and then the other thing I think, I'd, I'd, and you could convince me either way, depending on kind of <laughs> how we make the arguments, but the, 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 the differences between, let's say, Nest and LifeSite result in potentially different investment strategies, yep. risk taken, performance. Yep. So I guess, you know, here I am, I'm the, um, I'm a, a, you know, a vice president of a very wealthy financial services company and I land in LifeSite. Yep. Do I deserve to take more or less investment risk and get better or worse investment returns than someone who works in a corner shop and uh, I'm putting in, you know, my forty thousand pounds a year. Thank you very much. Mm. And they're putting in forty pounds a week, yeah. a, a month. Thank you very much. You know, should we actually differentiate? Do we have we created this sort of weird construct, maybe via consulting, via kind of other beliefs that, that kind of are out there, where we get reinforcements of wealth inequality through that kind of differences? Um, I don't think we are getting that. Um, n not because of the difference of market. Because um, Nest, I think, has a really sophisticated mm -hmm. set of yeah. investments yeah. because of its scale. Yeah. Yeah. They've always yeah. been, been prepared to go for that and because they're always expected to be very big for yeah. very good reasons. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and I think they can compete with uh, a life site on interesting um, investments. Uh, I think they've got to be careful, um, and, and they have been careful, in how they communicate that to people because the, the members of NEST are typically, uh, I want to be careful, I don't, I don't <laughs> abuse them unfairly, are typically less financially sophisticated sure. than the members of LifeSite because they, the LifeSite members tend to work for big employers who spend shed loads on communications themselves yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and tend to be higher average earnings and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, uh, it doesn't mean everyone at Nest is um, a, a, a pub worker or a, a cleaner or whatever, but there's a higher proportion of those. Yeah. And they want uh, not necessarily more simplicity in the investment option, but more simplicity in the way it's communicated. Mm -hmm. um, I think both organisations have a similar capacity for ESG. Yeah. Um, yeah. For just because it, well, my view on ESG is this: um, for asset class by asset class, an ESG-focused fund will outperform a non-ESG fund yeah. for, at least for the next five to ten years. Yeah. Uh, after that, you know, will have taken the profit, as it were, from uh, um, uh, the outperformance that they will get. Yeah, uh, and, but and the world will be ESG. The world will be ESG, and. Uh, the good news is I won't be a trustee of that because <laughs> it won't be my problem. Yeah, we'll, we'll Your liability we'll will be dangling that. behind yeah. you. Though, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's someone else's problem. Yeah, Because yeah. right. I, I think, to, just to finish on the VFM consultation, I, I, I do think there's this very interesting winnowing of the topics that you mentioned yeah. where they say, actually, yes, you should consider member of communications, but only to the extent it improves outcomes. Yeah. You should consider administration quality, but only to the extent that it improves outcomes. Yeah. And I think a lot of the value for money assessments now don't have that, yeah. that cut. Yeah. So will it make the job simpler or even harder and even more subjective because you'll be going through that list and kind of going, this is in and this is out? Um, 
bit of both. It's a bit like yeah. the, the, the the consultation uh, on VFM is becoming more directive. Yeah, and I think that's good. So we'll we'll get more consistency across the market, um, but it also gives us. Uh, Everyone will look for a, a way that, from a provider side, will look for a way to make themselves look better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the trustee's job is, as you say, to say, hang on, is this actually making life yeah, better yeah, for them, yeah, or yeah. is it just tarting it up, yeah, to use a technical phrase? Yeah, yeah. Show me the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so the two points I just wanted to pick your brain on when it comes to VFM um, are... You know, one of the things that we were really pleased about is the splitting up between admin and investment costs, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and and segmenting that out. Uh, that's a that's a big win. Yeah. So for us, <laughs> yeah. But no, but I think um, you know, it's a, it, it, it just makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Views on that, Andy? Um, I think I. Uh, yes, it's good. Yeah. Um, and do you think providers um, will be able to sort of deliver mm-hmm. those numbers? Mm-hmm. Because we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, I think, which is. You know, sometimes the internal management information isn't set up to provide that. Yeah. That's not a reason not to do it. But yeah. do you think, um, you know, there's going to be a few people thinking, ah, okay, we're going to have to sort of change how we do things internally to be able to deliver these metrics? I think you can probably get to it quite easily just from reported information in accounts. Right. Yeah. Um, the most recent Nest accounts from 2022, I think, tell us that the Pure admin costs £9.75 per member, mm. and the uh, investment charges are 10 basis points. You really haven't been sleeping well, have yeah, you? Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, um, I think you can get to those numbers with everyone else. I think you, you, most organisations, I suspect, the costs are higher. I should note that those aren't necessarily costs. Yeah, those yeah, are just yeah, those yeah. two, and they, they have other costs, like yeah. paying for all their own staff yeah, doesn't yeah. get included in any of that, yeah. and other stuff. Um, uh, and they get 20 million a year from um, uh, subsidy from the government from taking on um, all the, the, the clients that no one else wants, yeah, public, public service obligation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can get to those numbers for all the master trusts, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, and, but this will just make it a lot easier. Mm. Yeah. I, I guess the difficulty is working out the per payroll costs. Yes. Yeah. Um, because that now nine pound seventy five, whatever it was. Uh, you know, there will be. I don't know what the biggest payroll that that Nest has, but there will be places where they're receiving a file with two hundred people's yeah. contributions yeah. on, and that must take somewhere in the system the same amount of time for yeah. them to yeah. work out as. A file yeah, with yeah, two people's yeah, payroll yeah, yeah. contributions on, so I get that once it's landed in the system, and you know, sending out benefit statements, uh, all of the, the the kind of good stuff that you have to do, let's say, almost as a, as a deferred yeah, part, yeah. that bit you can just say apart, apart, apart. Yeah. But the bit of processing contributions and getting them in that must differentiate by employers, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I think um, yeah, that's absolutely right. I should also caveat that yeah, that nine seventy five number will now no longer be accurate because yes, that's sure. as a snapshot in time yeah, and yeah. things change over time anyway yeah yeah, yeah. and so the bigger you are the more effective you get typically yeah, yeah. so the other thing that we've talked about nico mm. is um the rag rating the red amber green mm. you know um which is the you know the, the end result of all of this value for money stuff yeah. is you're red yeah. you're amber with some improvements or green yeah you can pick your feet up for a year. Um, or green. Ooh. Will everybody yeah. call themselves green? Yeah. Is, is, it, is any master trust going to really assess itself as not being green? Um, yes, I think they will. Um, 
because it's rarely as simple as yes we're green it's we're green in this area green in that area we're amber in that area i hope you know, if it is red in an area then you know uh, TPR says you should be looking for a mm. replacement anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already got the rules. If you're a standalone DC scheme, less than 100 million, yep. yeah, you, you've got to start looking. Mm, yeah. um, uh, so I, I think you might have an overall green, but it's going to be an amber shade of green because yeah, you've got yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple of ambers. Gramber. Well, we used to talk amber. about yeah, gramber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's just, is it worth the effort for some employers i mean there are quite a few a number of schemes out there i've seen recently where you've got five ten thousand deferred members and 500 to a thousand active members Mm, yeah yeah and the employer's got to be asking why am i paying to provide services to a bunch of people that no longer work for me what a fantastic segue because we 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 can't leave today's episode without talking about smallpox and we've got the smallpox czar and we've got the smallpox czar Czar, yeah Yeah, yeah. without any of the power (laughs) so uh you're chairing the consultation group is Uh, the coordination 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 group Um, so what, what does that role do? Obviously, there's it was Consultation Monday, wasn't it, a couple of weeks yeah, ago? We had, I think, three. I don't, probably no, there's... F- at least four. There four. And there was at least one um, submission or whatever you... Yeah, so, yeah so there was a, numerous consultations and there was some evidence yeah. papers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but let, let's well. talk about the small parts. Small parts um, yeah. I, I don't want to say the letters uh, CDC yeah. in this in this <laughs> room. <laughs> um, but yeah, so small parts. So there's, there's it's basically, there's a lot of... Oh, there's, like, more than 20 questions right but yeah. but there's there's one core yeah, question yeah. which is do we set up consolidator funds yeah. or do we do pop follows member yeah. in some guys yeah. we were having this debate back in 2016 yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. the answer is all of the above i'm afraid uh-huh. because it's the small possible problem isn't one problem right there's at least three yeah so um Try and think how to get ready. Just it's such a big issue. So at one end of the scale, I think there are now in excess of four million micropods with less than a hundred pounds. Right. Yeah. 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 Now that's a problem for the providers because they can't charge a flat fee. Yeah. So they're losing money on each and every one of those. I guarantee it. Yeah. yeah. Because the minimum um, cost for them is the TPR general levy and fraud compensation fund, £1.30. Yeah. Yeah. And the maximum charge they can make is 75 basis points, which is 75p. Yeah. So you're losing yeah. money yeah. on every one of them. I can guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the members are OK because they're just paying the percentage charge. Yeah. Once you get to 200 quid, then the member might well be paying a pound a month yeah. or, or more, plus a 30 basis point or 40 basis point charge. And therefore, it's the member that's paying through the nose yeah, for that. Yeah, and it will yeah. pretty soon go down to a... And they're probably making a loss on that. Oh, well, oh aren't they? Yeah, the, yeah, the providers are making a loss anyway. Yeah. Now, anywhere up to probably around £2,000, mm. the providers are potentially making a loss. Yeah. Now, that's a bit of a problem when um, Nest has an average pot size of £2,000. Yeah. Um, TPP has an average pot size of two and a half, yeah. three. Yeah, it's a long time since yeah. they've shared yeah. that number with me, but yeah. that's, that's well, right. It's all in the accounts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, There's a long time since I've read the TPP accounts. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, Smart is similar-ish, uh, somewhere in between yeah, the two. Uh, yeah. All of them are increasing over time, mm. but the problem is, um, uh, again, I've used the number for, for Nest just because I have those in the front of my mind, and these will be the same across the board, though. Um, 
in, in proportionate terms, Nest has 4.5 million active members and mm-hmm. 6.5 million um, deferred members on last account. Um, so just over 11 million in total. Um, but they've added over the last five years an average of somewhere of the order of 150,000 active members each year yeah. and a million deferred members each year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, it's been an odd five years because we had lockdowns and there's a hiatus. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does beg the question, across the industry, how sustainable is it if we yeah. continue yeah. to add to the small pot burden? And I said this four million worth less than 100 pounds. There's somewhere in excess of 12 million, less than a thousand. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't afford that, and yeah. it's no good for the members. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So another consultation. Like, you know, yeah. I know you've done a lot of yeah. work personally yeah. in terms of you know getting views from the industry and building yeah. the evidence base and stuff. Um, but don't we just have to sort of get on with it? Yes. And, and don't we yes. just have to sort of choose? We either go down the consolidator or consolidators route, yeah. Yeah. Um, or you go for a portfolio's member. Yeah. And you know you, you sort of need to pin your colours to a particular approach because I think think there's different answers though so um, um, one answer might be dashboard because dashboard will get out there and members will know where all the pots are and of course they will want to consult engagement but exactly that's one of the topics exactly so that's member driven Um, so dashboard will happen in five years time (laughs) (laughs) within five years within five years yeah within five Um, personally I go for consolidators rather than default consolidator mm-hmm. but I think that's there partly to keep the industry honest uh, as an option but I think we should be looking at consolidators and I'll come back to member exchange in a second mm-hmm. which is I think a very positive uh, way the industry is going um, but I think we also want portfolio's member but just think about the legislative tail how long it takes to get legislation yeah, in place yeah, yeah, yeah. that's going to take four to five years yeah. I think by the end of this decade, the industry will have spent somewhere in excess of a billion pound in wasted charges. Mm-hmm. Now, that's either the industry or the member or com- combined together. Yeah. And it will be, DWP reckon it will be of the order of 300 million a year being wasted by the end of the decade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why? Just why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, only, the trouble is, the only thing we can do today without new legislation is member exchange. Mm. So, first, that only works in trust-based environment, not in contract-based. And we need to test it to see how it's going. Uh, I'm really grateful that Sarah Louise, she's stepped up the part and chair of the member exchange subgroup within the coordination group. Um, Well, technically, they're outside of it. (laughs) It doesn't matter. I don't care who does this. Um, um, And uh, we're hoping to get a pilot running really quite soon with two of the very much larger master trusts, which gives us the scale to test yep. what works and what doesn't. Because you know, national insurance number isn't a unique identifier, as the dashboard people keep telling us, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot better than names. I'm reliably informed there are 12 different ways to spell Mohammed in mm-hmm. uh, English or Latin script yeah. compared to the Arabic one way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. think about how many M's and D's yeah. and H's and yeah. go into yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, if you see how people sp- spell my surname, you'd be surprised yeah. to know there's 15 yeah. different ways of spelling yeah. Felp. Yeah. 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 yeah, There's quite a few Aspinall <laughs> variations. Yeah. And it, um, Small Pots Group had lots of working groups under it. The, the admin working group was chaired by Kim Kubler. Yep. Uh, Kim Kubler Consulting. 
um, Gubler has an umlaut over the U. Right, yeah. How many administrators do you know would know how to put in yeah, an umlaut, yeah. let alone actually do it? Yeah. So, okay. yeah, think about um, accents acute or grave from French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many um, people that work in Europe and therefore had access to the UK employment market um, have anglicised or Roman script names? Yeah. But Greece isn't, mm, or yeah, it has yeah, a yeah. version of it. Um, anyone who's moved in from uh, Russia or China yeah. or Japan or yeah, Arabic yeah, country, yeah. Yeah, there are literally millions of people yeah, with names yeah. that aren't that simple to spell. Yeah, yeah. As I know, with Cheseldon. Yeah. <laughs> so all of those problems are ones we have to get over. Indeed, indeed. Um, I think we're probably running out of time. We are, yeah, I think... Um, I, I, I've got we one final question. Oh, go right. on. Yeah, go. So, I'm going to ask you to put your put your money on one horse here. Yeah, <laughs> consolidators or portfolios member. Portfolios yeah. member. Portfolios yeah, member. Yeah. I agree. We'll have the we'll have the biggest effect in the long run, but it will take a while to get there. Yeah. <coughs> and uh, member exchanges are a form of consolidation. We're just trying to save the money in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. that building Which makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I like. I mean, isn't doesn't the Australian system call itself scheme follows member? You're, so you're, essentially, your first place that you get right, auto enrolled, yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. if you fail to tell the next employer that that's where you want to remain, then you go into their yeah. super trust. Yeah. Um, you get some option to stay where you were. Yeah, that though means employers have to contribute to a range of different schemes. Well, no. So in Australia, and the big gap in the UK is they got centralised payroll. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, this is where I do feel like we've got no pension strategy in this country. We've just got a whole bunch of tactics. Yeah. You know, if you go back to the 28, 2008 Pensions Commission and you look forwards in time, they just didn't anticipate the rise of master yeah, trusts. Yeah. They really didn't anticipate the fact that, um, you know, there are some problems, infrastructure and plumbing that they could have said, we don't have to sort them out in 2008 or 2012, yeah. but we could legislate yeah, yeah. for these things to be sorted out in yeah, the future. Yeah. There was a big debate back at that time around whether HMRC could do the collections, yeah, yeah. which was before um, RTI um, yeah, was, yeah. was even, you know, it was a, a, a twinkling yeah. in the eye. And um, I think now with RTI, yeah, you would... Yeah. You know, you would have a very, very different system for managing contributions and stuff. But anyway, we were too old. Yes, on. right. Well, let's let's close there. Thank you so much for your your time and that, that insights. Um, so, uh, as ever, we are in uh, Temple Avenue at the Pod of uh, DG Publishing. Um, so, thank you so much for them for providing us uh, with our with our space. Uh, for these recordings. Um, we should mention there is the Impact and Responsible Investment Conference, which is the 23rd of March at London Zoo. Looking um, good. Very, very exciting. Um, and they also have the DC Strategic Summit on the 15th of May, which I think really is a kind of must-attend must event uh, for, for DC-interested uh, people. Um, uh, there's also then the PPI Alternative and Liquid Assets uh, on the 9th of March. Are you involved in that, Darren? Um, I sort of am. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I know you are. Cause yeah, they've uh, they thrown me on a panel. They've thrown you on a panel. So I suppose I'm going to have to go along to, li to listen to it. But you have to uh, ask at least an awkward question from the audience. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair game, isn't it? But I, I, but I actually think that we can we should sort of talk a bit more about asset classes and value mm. for money within asset classes. And maybe we could do 
you know, um, a, a, a podcast off the back of that that report that's been published. Mm. It could be quite good fun. Um, and then finally, uh, so I'll be launching my TCFD research that I've been doing for the DCIF on the 28th of March. Um, so that is a series of interviews around the industry to talk about kind of whether TCFD is working. Um, so hopefully that'll be very interesting. Is it? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I was writing the conclusions yesterday. Um, and I think there's... Yeah, I mean, it's from it's from interviews, right? So yeah, it's amazing yeah. how uh, much consensus there is. Um, but I'm not sure it's the consensus that you necessarily expect. Yeah, so come along and find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. And um, yeah, Andy, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure um, having a chat. Um, thank you to our listeners for, for tuning in. Um, we're nearly at 1,000 downloads now. For yeah, podcast, amazing. Which is, which is brilliant. We've been overwhelmed yeah, by the response delighted. that we're getting and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, please do share, like, retweet, yep. repost, whatever. Tell the world how t- brilliant we are. T- tell the world. Tell the world. <laughs> and um, you uh, can get in touch with us at vfmpensions at gmail.com. Uh, so if you've got any feedback, any views, uh, or even if you would like to be a guest in future, yeah. we'd love to hear from you. Indeed, indeed. And um, who have we got next week, Nico? We've got um, uh, Zoe Alexander. We do have me. Zoe, yeah. That's um, got the, the look of fear on Nico's <laughs> face when I asked him that question. <laughs> It, you framed it differently to my notes, which right. is a whole list of people, and I can't remember exactly when they're coming in. But after Zoe, um, we will have, in no particular order, in no particular order. Uh, Des Healy, of course, from DWP, uh, Sophia Singleton from XPS, uh, and Julius Purcell, and no doubt we can talk to him about Cushion. Indeed. Excellent. Andy, thank you very much. Thank Until you. next time, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>